1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach to Coach Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today we have with us Michael Harris with Harris CMO Partners. Welcome, Michael.
0: Hey, Lee. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing well. I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Harris CMO Partners. How are you serving folks?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, We work with CEOs of technology companies. Our clients are usually in the $10 million to $100 million range. And I would say most of them for the last few, excuse me, most of them for the last few years, Lee, have been SaaS companies. Uh, We have clients in uh, Silicon Valley, the West Coast, Washington, D.C. And since I've moved to Nashville not too long ago, we picked up a couple of clients here. So what we do is we provide uh, interim CMO services or just general CMO support to the CEO or the actual CMO themselves.
1: So what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in this line of work?
0: Yeah, sure. It's a, uh, it's, it's, a good story. When I got out of business school in the eighties, I, I took, you know, one of the glamorous jobs or so-called glamorous jobs with a consumer products company. And uh, that led to a stint with Philips electronics in uh, the Netherlands. And I wound up running about a hundred million dollar division of that company based here in the United States. And somewhere along the way, I got a call from a data storage company in California, and uh, they had seen some of my, my turnaround background and asked if I would be interested in joining them. It was a $500 million company, and uh, they, were in, they were in a bit of trouble. And, um, and I took a leap of faith and left the Southeast and, and moved everything out to California. And that's how I got started in technology. That was in the 90s. Uh, and I served as a, a top-level executive for West Coast tech companies for, for many years. Uh, usually, that it was a chief marketing officer role or you know, head of sales and marketing or something in, in, in that nature. And then when I got my, my last child out of high school and off to college in 2018, I decided to return to the motherland, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And I moved, moved back here, moved my company here, and, uh, and really enjoy it. Things are going fine.
1: So now talk a little bit about uh, kind of the tech ecosystem in Nashville versus Silicon Valley. Uh, Obviously, Silicon Valley has the history and the kind of uh, the depth of uh, companies there. And Nashville is more of an emerging tech hub. Can you talk about how they compare and uh, what you see in the future for Nashville?
0: Oh sure, that's a, a topic I love to talk about. I think uh, Lee that anybody that's been immersed in, in the West Coast tech scene or, or Silicon Valley um, develops a certain um, sense of op- a sense of style and operating. Certainly, a deep, deep level of knowledge about what's going on with the investors, what's going on with uh, new waves of technology. And uh, then when I when I moved to Nashville, you know, I really set out to learn the technology community here and reached out to. Tech CEOs and uh, you know wanting to establish a beachhead here because I really you know my, my vision was to serve the southeast. I knew that technology was coming our way, and I knew that uh, you know there were a lot of companies uh, in in the southeast, especially Tennessee and Nashville, that could use uh, Silicon Valley expertise. So here's the difference: uh, the the Nashville uh, technology ecosystem is is still uh, it's still in its infancy. And the reason that I say that is because the investment community here is uh, not the same as the investment community that I observed in California. So people who have made a, a great deal of money here typically made it in healthcare, care uh, or uh, uh, excuse me, healthcare care uh, and in uh, banking and commercial real estate. And so those are those are what we would call more you know old world industries, even though they're you know, very much alive, very much thriving, people still make a lot of money in them. Um, but the mindset of these investors is 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 not um, evolved enough to be able to understand what new waves of technology mean and how investing in those new waves of technology could create wealth for them. So uh, it's it's still a little bit of a reluctant. Um, atmosphere here in Nashville. But in the three years that I've been here, I've seen uh, really, really good progress. So I think Nashville is well on its way. And of course, we see all the time these news articles of California companies, tech companies that are picking up and moving to Nashville. And they're moving here for very, very good reasons. So, So Nashville has the foundation. And as I think as these new companies move in, uh, and, and, the, and this new blood comes in that's already been immersed in Silicon Valley. That is going to uh, you know, spread across Nashville, including the investment community, including uh, the, the universities and colleges and even high schools. And, uh, and Nashville is poised to grow, I think, tremendously uh, in, in what I call the technology ecosystem.
1: Now, do you find, I I think, I mean, I deal with a lot of, I interview a lot of folks in all parts of the startup, the tech startup world from VCs to private equity to angels to CEOs and entrepreneurs. One of the advantages of Silicon Valley is if you're a startup in Silicon Valley and your thing explodes, you can jump to another, you know, startup pretty easily. Um, And there's kind of a, a deep... Like that, that's okay to do that. And the investment community there has a different kind of sense of urgency when it comes to investing and a different kind of expectation of an investment. Whereas, like you said, in some of the southern cities, if their wealth was made in real estate, it's one of those, well, we'll just hold on to it and eventually it's going to make us a lot of money. And the time, kind of the condensed time period that people are looking to get in and out of investments. Are different, you know. The, the time moves differently in Silicon Valley than it does maybe in some southern cities.
0: Yes, I would definitely agree with that. I would say from the two uh, clients that we had here and we have had so far in Nashville, and both were successfully acquired after we started working with them. Uh, so that's you know that, that that's good news. But from my observances of those two companies versus the clients in in say uh, on the West Coast, for instance. Um, things tend to move a little slower here because there's a learning curve uh, that's already been achieved by most of the people on the West Coast that is still being achieved by the people who do the work here in Nashville. Um, so I do spend more time uh, educating Nashville clients than I would with uh, you know, clients on the West Coast or in Washington or something like that.
1: Now, what about um, have you seen? Because I think this is another uh, part of the growth and the maturity of a of a southern city when it comes to this is having some successful exits where you have some entrepreneurs that have gone through kind of the process and have exited, and then want to reinvest back into the community. Are you seeing any of that, or any kind of hint that that's uh, on the roadmap?
0: Oh yes, yeah, there there are definitely good examples here in uh, here in Nashville. Uh, one of the companies that I helped was a, a med tech company, and uh, it was a part of uh, the portfolio of a uh, another company here in Nashville that that uh, funds several med tech and healthcare care um, startups. And I know they've had the, the entrepreneur who founded it. His name is Jim Soar. Uh, I know that he had a really successful tech exit. And after that, he began to pull together this portfolio of, of new companies to fund and to and to nurture. So that's a great example there. And I have heard and read about several others, which are uh,
1: excellent stories. So now let's talk about kind of your day-to-day work in sales and marketing. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you've learned from coming from that Technology base from Silicon Valley and how that that translates to the tech companies you're dealing with in Nashville.
0: Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. So, what's going on in sales and marketing now is that the uh, the distance between what's being sold and who's going to buy it has been dissected into about a million pieces. And what I mean by that is. You know, back in the day, uh, and I'm an old old guy, so back in the day, a sales guy at IBM or HP or whatever could have a name and a phone number and get in front of somebody to make a sales pitch. And today, uh, there's about, I mean, you know, there's just dozens and dozens of places that you have to populate with some kind of a message uh, before you'll even get the attention of, of a prospect. And the, the, I think the interesting thing is today that any prospect for a new solution is going to spend, you know, they're going to get 70%, 80% of what they want to know about you and your company and your solution before they'll ever agree to even have a, an introductory phone call. Um, and so that all falls back into what is historically and traditionally called the marketing space. And it's, it's required that marketing, especially B2B marketing, technology marketing, Become very very sharp with content messaging, uh, what we call buyer personas, which is you know who am I targeting? You know what are their you know, what are their hot buttons? What are their pain points and so forth? Um, so I think the net net of all of this is that uh, sales and marketing has become much more sophisticated, and uh, in addition to that, we're starting to see a merging of the sales and marketing functions because the technology. The platforms that they're using are merging, and so they have no choice but to start moving these part- departments closer and closer together. Uh, and so I'm, I'm I'm thinking that at least in my lifetime, in my career, we will see sales and marketing become just one operation.
1: Now, are you seeing any of the – I know I'm old too, so I know that there was um, kind of a, a line in between sales and marketing at one point where it was always like – Sales was saying like, oh, marketing's not giving me the good leads, and then and then marketing's like, well, sales isn't closing the leads, and I'm, you know, there was, it was kind of, I don't want to say adversarial, but maybe their incentives weren't aligned, and uh, marketing becomes like more of a support role for sales and not like a partner. Are you seeing any of that change, or or is the blurring of the lines between sales, marketing, advertising, PR, social media, all the kind of kind of the tools that are out there, are they all kind of um, like you said, merging into one, you know, kind of client acquisition department?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The, the, the people who perform those functions uh, across the board, the ones you just mentioned, yes, they are merging into one, one department. Um, and I think a good example of that Lee is that, you know, like in my company, we use uh, you know, we use a software platform that's that scores uh, prospects for clients and um, it's, it's up to the marketer. You know, this, this usually resides in the marketing department. But it's up to the marketer to decide what those attributes, the, the attractive attributes of a prospect are, uh, whether it's from static information on LinkedIn or whether those attributes are gathered from interaction with social media posts, advertising, you know, what, whatever, whatever's out there in, the, in the, the, um, the web sphere. And so it's up to the marketer to create that model. <clears throat> and then the marketer has to interact with the salespeople who will be selling this to make sure that that model is is tweaked correctly and that the attributes have been uh, have been um, uh, prioritized and scored correctly. Because ultimately, it's the salesperson who's going to be using that model, but it's the marketing person that's going to be doing all the attribution.
1: Now, what about, I mean, in a lot of these tech uh, B2B sales, especially, there's a lot of kind of fingers in the pie and these decisions aren't made necessarily by one person. It's a committee or a group of people that have to all sign off on it. And you don't know who is the person that's got the, the power to kind of blackball something or veto something. Um, how, how do you help your clients kind of navigate the politics of the sale?
0: That's another. That's another good question. Um, You know, I always advise clients to to um, put one person in charge, whether it's the CRO, whether it's the CMO. You know, hopefully, you walk in a situation where they have a very good relationship and they and they work as one. Um, That's not always the case because you know, salespeople are driven by a set of metrics that is um, is it's very you know, right now, right at this minute, uh, um, oriented marketing people tend to look, uh, much further into the future. And sometimes it's hard to get those two viewpoints on the same table. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's always an issue where I walk into a client, I'd say 90% of the problems that I find in a client is are people problems, you know, either the skill sets and capabilities aren't present at that senior level. Uh, or they haven't built the underlying infrastructure, including people correctly, um, or there's just a, a general level of distrust uh, between those two organizations. And I'm starting, I'm starting, again, I'm starting to see that um, mitigating itself as time goes on. Um, but it used to be a pretty big problem in a lot of companies, and now I think it's a, a more manageable problem in most companies.
1: Now, um, how has the pandemic impacted your business? Um, I don't know if the pandemic precipitated your move to Nashville, but it's obviously uh, kind of uh, expanded people's, uh, where their employees are located, where their clients are located, um, and working from home, remote working. Has any of this impacted your business? And if so, how have you helped your clients navigate through this?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yes, uh, it's it's impacting my business positively. So uh, when I set out to build this company, you know, several years ago, Lee, I decided from the outset it was going to be a virtual company because I had spent, you know, many, many, many years managing a lot of people at big organizations. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. Um, so the people that I hire are all contractors, you know, they're all 1099s, uh, they've all been with me for a long time. They and, they and they love the uh the work that they do and you know, I pay them very fairly. So in that sense, it hasn't interrupted it. And on the on the revenue side, revenue revenue's actually gone up because so many employers uh have had a chance to look at what's going on in sales and marketing and decide that they want to make changes. And, you know, they love the idea of having somebody, having an on-demand professional come in, get the work done, and then get out, right? Um, That's very different from the old consulting model. So back in in my early years, my younger years, I was a consultant for a predecessor of PricewaterhouseCoopers. And, you know, the mantra then was, you know, go out and slay the big beast and then drag the carcass home and feed on it for years and years, (laughs) so that's that that is no longer the case uh, at least with companies my size you know we like to we like to do a good job our our pay is actually tied to you know whether we get that job done right and get it done on time so uh everybody in the organizations is incentivized to 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 work and to, and to do it right the first time and to do it on time
1: so now what is the pain that your prospective clients are having? Are they um, kind of struggling? Are they in a crisis? Are they kind of frustrated because of a plateau? Like um, where, where are they at when it's time to call um, Harris CMO partners?
0: Yeah, it's usually one of a few places. Lee, One is that they've lost their CMO. Uh, they, need to, they need somebody to come in and steer the ship for a few months until they can get their search done. As you know, uh, in today's hiring environment it's it's getting pretty tough to find you know the right qualified people who will also fit into that company's particular culture and so they like the idea of, ha- of not losing any momentum the second the second uh, biggest issue is the CEO is very frustrated at marketing so he or she is not liking what they're seeing they're not liking what they're hearing uh, they're they're really questioning the value of the money they're spending and uh, they want somebody with a uh, with a, a very strong budgeting background and a financial perspective on sales to come in and help sort through what's going on and then get everything uh, realigned with the marketplace in a way that, uh, that that shows exactly what's happening with every dollar spent on marketing. so those are a couple of the situations is, is that enough for this call
1: Well, what is the frustration? Like, what are some symptoms that a firm might be having that, hey, maybe it's time to make a change in the CMO suite? Oh, gosh,
0: declining revenue is the top one. Yeah. So I had one client that was in a market, a really hot market space. Uh, The market space itself was growing tremendously. And with companies of that particular client size, uh, it was uh, on average companies were growing 12% a year. And this particular client was declining 10% a year and they just couldn't, you know, they just couldn't figure out what was going on. So that's, that's a very classic example of a a frustration.
1: Now, any advice for the person that is maybe in an enterprise position right now and wants to go out on their own and start their own firm, anything that uh, you would do differently?
0: Yeah, you know, I, uh, I got very lucky right off the bat and landed a couple of big contracts, but uh, when I when I when I decided I wanted to grow the business, I really floundered a lot with the operational side of it. And, and, and when I say operations, I mean really the, the sales process, uh, the paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I found I luckily found a book called Million Dollar Consulting by a guy named Alan Weiss. And I later took some personal training from him, and he he was able to cut through all of the noise for me so well and and has made has made the selling process for my company so easy. You know, we don't use we don't use PowerPoint or pitch decks. We don't do proposals. We don't do anything. You know, we just work straight with the CEO and we work on a you know we work on a term sheet by email and you know this is what we're this is what we're gonna get done. Uh this is you know how long it's gonna take this is how much it's gonna cost. This is the methodology we'll use, and this is how we'll measure the success of the project. And then once that uh, once once that term sheet is completed in that manner, we just crank out a simple like two or three page letter of agreement, and then uh, you know the CEO signs it, and you know we're off to the races.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Alan Weiss. Um, I mean, a long time reader of, of pretty much everything he puts out there. He's a the smart guy. It's got a lot of that figured out, and I recommend his books, his newsletter to anybody out there that is kind of – to who wants to make sure they're getting the value they deserve. You bet. You bet. Now, uh, Michael, if somebody wants to learn more uh, about your firm or get on your calendar, um, what is the website?
0: It is com, or you can Google Mike Harris Marketing, either one.
1: Good stuff. Well, Michael, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work, and we appreciate you.
0: Thanks, Lee, for having me. It's so great to hear about uh, what your your company is doing. I, do, I only recently heard about Nashville Business Radio, and I'm pretty excited about it because uh, you know Nashville really needs to have stronger uh, business reporting, especially on the tech side. And uh, so I'm I'm happy to, to make your acquaintance, and hopefully, was able to contribute a little something today.
1: I definitely did. Thank you again. You bet. Take care. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio.